Welcome to the Just What I Needed to Hear podcast with Yoga Farm Ithaca, where we teach you how to live the principles of yoga both on your mat and off the mat in the living curriculum of your precious life. What I have, what I have seen is that the addictions that choose us are so logical based on anything and everything from like, it's not a, like the expression that Jeannie and Christopher have used before in YTT. It, it, nothing is a one size fits all. It's a one size fits one. Um, the, the, the map of Enneagram, the map of knowing your constitution of your physical body and the constitution of your mind and knowing what elements are out of balance, having uh, awareness of what the persistent and consistent stressful or painful thoughts that we believe true in our mind are the biggest influencers of what addictions we are most effective. We choose the addiction that's most effective, right? So for example, and Christopher absolutely does not mind my sharing this because, and it's such a clear cut example. He's a core type three Enneagram, a lot of fire. The threes can lose their balance in doership in doing in the world, doing, 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 engaging. I need to be doing, I need to be doing. Am I doing something? What am I doing? So the antidote to doing and, and the inability to experience the being in doership was why an addiction to marijuana was the perfect fit for him because it immediately stopped his mental body of doership and it brought him into the present moment world of sensations and wonderment and awe like some people that that would smoke um and back in my in my 20s there were, there were a few years where that was a part of my, my daily routine, but I didn't, and I didn't have an addiction with it. Um, it didn't turn off my mental body like it did for him. And so I was highly functional, highly, um, you, you almost wouldn't know, you know, on, honestly. And with Christopher, because it was such the potent medicine, he, the, the thing that he didn't know how to do for himself, like he was almost unable to talk. When, when he would smoke and it was like, he was just in blissful present moment, la la land. And so that's why it was a problem because he wasn't able yet, just yet. I love the word yet, yet. Our addictions bring us to what it is we want for ourselves that we don't know how to do for ourselves. Another example is, um, is, is food. It can be very easy when we have a kapha imbalance 
And yet we have a lot of vata imbalance in the mind to turn to food, to, to numb and dull and quiet the rapid thinking mind. And, and I don't like to say I have anxiety, okay? And I don't mean me, me. I mean, just in general. I like to, I, I think what's more accurate is the sensations of anxiousness are the result of rapid thoughts that we believe true. So it's why food is such a perfect choice. It's a perfect immediate solution for the mental body that's running fast of a worrisome nature. So over, so, so overeating or overeating on um, carbohydrates in particular, it's like, it's like it turned, it's like it turns that down, that mental, the constant mental processing. It's like numbs it. Right. So that makes sense. It's logical. The same as alcohol. Alcohol, for people that have a problem with alcohol, it oftentimes is the medicine of unattended to anger, grief, or sorrow, or resignation. Because those first two drinks bring you back to that feeling of joyful aliveness. Right. And of course, you keep drinking for someone that has a problem with it. You keep drinking to maintain that. And that's not how alcohol works. It doesn't just maintain that like happy to drink feeling. It's just a slippery slope from there. Um, much like for someone who turns to, uh, to, to heroin or opioids, oftentimes those are, are souls that meant who have experienced a lot of trauma neglect, pain, abuse in their lives. And they, they're seeking the feeling of love. You ever talk to someone? And I really love, this is why, I, where I really learned the, all of this over many years is because I sit with anyone that's addicted to anything and I interview their addict. And I say to the addict, what, tell me what you love about thinking about when you're going to participate in your habit. Tell me about the first moment the substance enters your body or the ritual beforehand. Like I really give a lot of space for someone to share what they love about it because it's in that conversation that it's revealed how it's serving them as a, as a temporary coping and survival and what it's giving them access to that they don't have access to on their own. So you talk to someone that uses heroin and their eyes fill up with tears when, when asked like, tell me what you love about it. Tell me how it's, it's so wonderful in that moment when something changes for you and their eyes usually well up. And they'll say, it's like being embraced in a loving mother's arms. It's like, or it's like falling into the arms of God. So it's through these conversations with people because the conversations with addicts never starts out with, there's something wrong with this behavior that's no longer serving you. I hate that language. Pardon my seven-year-old language. I hate that language. It, but it, and it's true. It's true. We must create space 
to hear this is a this is a, a survival strategy. This is protecting someone from something. It's giving them access temporarily to something that you're seeking to feel for yourself, much like someone that has a shopping addiction or a pornography addiction or a cocaine addiction. So I, um, or, or online addiction, just scrolling, social media addiction. I, um, so I really, I, I, I relish these conversations because it really gave me such profound insight as to what's really, what's really going on. And addictions can quit us when we then focus on attending to that which it has been helping us along with. So as we heal ourselves, addictions quit you. And I think I've sh I shared with you all my, my how, how to, oh, I forgot tobacco. That's a, that's a, that's a big one that how uh, tobacco quit me. I had an on and off relationship with tobacco for, uh, on and off probably 20 years of my life. I loved smoking, loved it. And then there came a moment in my life where I, I, I felt inauthentic in that I noticed if I didn't have tobacco, my joy was compromised. I noticed an increase in impatience. And so then I started to wonder, wow, is my joy authentic? Or is it because I have a steady supply, I can have tobacco whenever I want it? And I didn't like that. So I set out the intention of, I would like to no longer be smoking, even though I love it. And even though I haven't the faintest idea how I will do life without it. And at that point, when I declared that, I probably was only smoking like five cigarettes a day. So it wasn't like a heavy habit. I just loved it. Those were my special little breaks, you know? So, so that was when inquiry found me because I knew there was no way out of addiction until I understood all of this that I mapped out first and then immersed in inquiry. Inquiry being the process of attending to everything in my mind that was stressful that I thought and believed true. That was the only reason that I smoked. And once I brought integrity to every area of my life, and once I immersed in, in inquiry and became so vigilant of every single thought I thought and believed true, the tobacco completely quit me, completely, um, as did alcohol. And at, at a different point, I had a challenge with alcohol for one year because I was in uh, tremendous grief. This was around 2010. And... Um, and I can say that I've navigated the most difficult chapters of my life without any alcohol or not only not with it, most more interestingly, the thought never thought me, man, a drink would be really great right now because this is fucking hard or this grief is unbearable. And I've experienced grief since then. It was a grief that sent me to alcohol in 2010 that I've experienced a far more painful grief and it never once did the thought occur to me, hey, let's have a drink. It just, the thought wasn't there, it didn't happen. I wasn't even like, I had to be like, I just didn't have to talk myself off a ledge, you know, it just, so this is the power of inquiry and healing. Um, I, someone that I can recommend that is really brilliant in the world of addiction, 
uh, is is Gabor, G-A-B-O-R, Mate, M-A-T-E. And he wrote In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. And his newest book, The Myth of Normal, is really phenomenal. Everything is in its right balance, mm-hmm. right? I, I think we also want to make sure we... We, we don't go too far into thinking, oh, if I were to turn on TV or watch a show, um, that that's not spiritual, right? It's, 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 we're, it's, we're householders engaged in life. It's okay to watch a show. The okay. other exercise that you can do in real time is just set the intention to get to meet the aspects of you more clearly. So notice, can you simply catch the moment and start to notice patterns and rhythms and routines where and when are you when the first thought arises that neat that nudging of um like you you had the first thought or you see the image of of a box of cheese nibs like the moment that arises and then you have the thought oh shit it's 10 o'clock that is really gonna aggravate my heartburn tonight when i sleep Um, so, so let's meet that self in real time saying, wow, one of the insight questions I like around food habits is, okay, hang on. And it doesn't mean you can't have, you can't do the, the cheese nips, but yet there's a series of steps along the way. This is what I had, what I did with smoking. I would ask myself these questions. It didn't mean I didn't have the cigarette. It means I just along the process I just got a little closer to what was going on under the surface. So I would then ask myself around food, what is it I'm really hungry for right now? What are the sensations I'm noticing in my body? Do I feel anxiousness, tension? Have I been sitting here worrying? Is my kapha out of balance? Is my kapha too heavy? And now at 10 p.m., I'm entering the, the um, or I'm just exiting the 6 to 10 p.m., uh, kapha cycle, right? Through the the uh, the rhythms of Ayurveda have uh, hours of the day that are also useful to see how your patterns align with the Ayurvedic times of day. So getting to just see, wow, what's what's going on? What am I really hungry for? What do I really want? What am I really craving? Is it in this box of crackers? <laughs> You know, is there something else? Is there something else I'm longing for? Is there something else I'm longing to feel? Like a scientist, and I'm really inviting you to approach this like a very compassionate scientist of yourself. You're studying yourself. You're getting to know a little bit more underneath the habitual movements so that you can bring a little more awareness to it. And and again, it's, I, I know we're in this. Am I suggesting you change the behavior? Instead, put your focus on what am I, what's going on in my mind? What's going on in my body? What are my rhythms? Mm-hmm. How, how have I moved today? Have I moved, have I moved my energy vigorously enough? Those with kapha, physical, physical kapha constitutions need vigorous movement every day. So sometimes the end of day, for kapha constitution with low digestive fire can be when food addiction, food cravings arise, right? Because when something's out of balance for us, we crave that which has us be more out of, out of balance. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. Like when my vata 
is more out of balance, I notice I'll crave popcorn, light, airy, crunchy things that are not excellent for Vata. Those are aggravating. And yet it's what I crave. Doesn't mean I say yes to it, but I notice the craving is there. So remember, whatever's out of balance is going to, our craving matches what's what our out of balance is. We don't crave the thing that will bring us into balance when something's out of balance. 